hanging half a hundred on him at Owen Field. Or the run rules on the diamond at Love's Field. We're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast with Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's go! Go! Let's go, it's the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jaquez. You know Tyler Burton, of course. And then this evening, of course, as you see on your screen here, if you're watching on YouTube or on Twitter, uh, which I refuse to still call X at this point, uh, Parker Thune of OU Insider and The Ref from 12 to 2 p.m. every weekday. So uh, Parker really doesn't need much of an introduction. I'm sure, hope and hopefully all of you guys know him uh, if you know who we are. So we appreciate uh, Parker jumping on this evening and uh, talking a little bit, bit of uh, recruiting with us. Yeah, of course, fellas. By the way, that was a banger of an intro. Hello. <laughs> yeah, we've yeah, come well, a long way since the last time you were on the show. It's probably been like at least a year and a half. So it's been yeah, far it's, too long. It's, it, it's been a long time coming. Obviously, with uh, you know Parker, I couldn't couldn't think of a better person to have on for tonight's show. Obviously, college football offseason kind of is non-existent anymore. It's 24-7, 365 days with the transfer portal being what it is, recruiting, NIL uh, being such a huge focal point. But let's Let's dive into this real quick. Obviously, before we get into this upcoming uh, recruiting weekend that's going to be taking place in Norman this weekend, let's talk about the transfer portal, specifically the offensive line. Um, that's probably the uh, the most heated topic, I think, that and NIL within the Oklahoma fan base right now. So what holes does OU still need to fill? And are there still some names out there kind of floating around where Oklahoma could possibly capitalize and maybe add one or two more pieces as we head into spring football? Yeah, well, obviously, the name that's making the rounds, and understandably so, is Garen Hatchett, the transfer lineman from the University of Washington, who visited Oklahoma over the weekend. I know there were some conflicting reports about whether or not his younger brother Landon visited. Uh, he did not. It was just Garen that was in Norman for the visit. Now, the interesting thing, interesting dynamic there is you're talking about a kid who is from the Evergreen State. Ferndale, Washington is where the Hatchets grew up, played their high school ball. So they are Washington dudes through and through. Now, Oklahoma was the runner up for their services out of high school in both cases with Garen and then later with Landon. Uh, as to whether Oklahoma adds Garen, I think there's a great chance, but. Washington is going to be the thorn in the, in the Sooners' side there because Jed Fish and his staff are actively trying to convince him and his brother to come back and that the situation still befits them in Seattle. So uh, that'll be one to watch. I honestly think it's a flip of the coin at this point, guys, as to whether he ends up transferring to Oklahoma or stays at Washington. Kind of reminiscent of the, Gene, the Gino Vandemark saga for those that remember the way that that played out in late December, early January before Vandemark ultimately decided to return to Michigan state. So I think with this spring window, that's about all that is on the horizon potentially for Oklahoma. And if you don't get hatchet, if you're unable to bring him in uh, and get him in Norman enrolled in classes before the end of the ad drop period, then you probably wait until that post-spring window to potentially bring in another offensive lineman. I'm not convinced it's something that Oklahoma needs, but obviously the more options you have, the more assets in your proverbial cupboard, you'll take them in a year where, A, you're making the transition to the SEC, and B, you're replacing all five starters on the offensive line. 
And it sounds like that second window might not be um, such a bad thing if OU makes it there. It sounds like it'll be more active than normal. So um, definitely patience uh, could be in store for OU fans there, which could certainly be okay. I want to ask you about the uh, the big recruiting weekend that, that's coming up here, and I'll throw up some of the uh, uh, some of the list of guys that are, are planning to be in Norman. I know this is kind of an ever evolving uh, list of guys here that you know who knows what with recruits they could uh, bail at the last second, or um, you know it's new guys could be added at any moment. Uh, but there are some big names that are coming to Norman. What you're seeing on the screen here, if you're watching with us on YouTube, is uh, just the defensive recruits. So we'll take a look at some of the offensive guys here in a second. But, uh, Parker, there's a guy that is from an area that you're very well familiar, familiar with, and Zach Alley's going to have the opportunity, probably one of the first recruits that he'll really see in person there is, is Christian Jones, the top 50 linebacker out of Omaha, Nebraska. I believe this is his first visit to OU. But how realistic are the chances that OU can maybe – be a contender there with the in-state Huskers that seem to be the favorite. Yeah, well, I will say this, fellas. It's actually not his first visit to OU. He's been down before twice, I want to say, most recently for a camp over the summer. So he is familiar with Norman, familiar with Oklahoma. He had been recruited previously by Ted Roof for about 10 months. I want to say it was mid-March of last year that he picked up the OU offer. Uh, But... To answer your question, yes, I think OU has a good shot there. The question is going to become, uh, do you feel confident enough about where you stand with that kid in order to kind of put some of your other linebacker targets on the back burner? Because one thing I can tell you definitively about Christian Jones is that unless he has some sort of drastic change of heart, he is not committing before October at the absolute earliest. So This is one that is going to go down close to National Signing Day. At least that is his plan for the time being. And the Sooners only have one spot left to recruit to at linebacker. So, yes, Christian Jones is obviously one of the nation's best. We at Rivals have him ranked number 50 overall, number six among linebackers in the 2025 class. But that timeline is going to become an issue, especially with so much of OU's class already committed. I have said before, I will say it again, I expect that this class is going to be somewhere between 20 and 22. We're not dealing with nearly as many takes as we have the last couple of classes at Oklahoma. It's going to be a smaller group. You have nine commits already. Christian Jones likes Oklahoma. He likes Washington quite a bit. I'm actually not convinced the in-state program is the leader right now. I know a lot of the predictions favor Nebraska, but The one thing about Christian Jones that stands out more than anything else and anybody who gets to know him, anybody that even sits down to have a conversation with him will immediately find out that kid hates losing, hates it, Mm -hmm. can't stand it. And so Nebraska is going to have to turn it around in 2024. They're going to have to win football games and win a bunch of them in order to have the same appeal in Christian Jones' eyes as some of the other top schools that are recruiting him. That also includes Notre Dame. Uh, The Fighting Irish have a couple of connections uh, to his area and even to his own coaching staff. His head coach at Westside, Paul Lamangi, has sent at least one player off the top of my head, that being Xavier Watts, to Notre Dame in the past. So, Uh, There are some strong connections there. That's another school that I'm kind of watching for Christian Jones. But I would say in my mind right now, uh, based on what I know of that recruitment, the top two and not necessarily in this order are Washington and Oklahoma. Another big question is whether Alabama comes along with an offer to the blue chipper because obviously that whole Washington staff, well, not the whole staff, but a majority of the staff just uprooted and headed down to Tuscaloosa. 
Parker, staying on that side of the football, so much has been made about the 2024 defensive line haul that Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis brought in, the power line, and, and rightfully so. But, you know, Parker, you know Oklahoma fans out there are already saying, yeah, that was great, but okay, so what's next? So when it comes to the defensive front in the 2025 class, I know that Max Granville uh, is a name that's got a lot of buzz around it right now. Oklahoma's already got the commitment from Kamori uh, Moore out of Lee Summit North. But give us a guy or two that Oklahoma fans maybe need to be paying a little bit more attention to as we head into spring and into the summer camps. Yeah, well, I would say don't don't forget about your current commits if you're an yeah. Oklahoma fan because – both Kamari Moore and Alex Shield Knight, I mean, those two guys are guys that I have seen in person multiple times at this point. And believe me, they are all that and then some. Uh, those are two blue chip caliber talents. They're only three stars for the moment, uh, but don't be fooled by that three star label. You watch them in person or even on film, you immediately see two disruptive dudes that have motors that simply do not run out. They can go forever and they do go forever. And uh, they are two, even before they were committed to Oklahoma, I would have said this, in the class of 2025, they are two of the most fun defensive linemen you can possibly hope to watch because it feels like they're involved on pretty much every play, whether directly or indirectly. So don't disregard those guys just because they're already in the boat. Those are two guys to be very thankful for if you're an Oklahoma fan, especially with how willing they were to get the recruitment process over with early and commit to the Sooners. Now. Uh, just dropped a note over at OUinsider.com for members, which if you're not a member over there, it's a great place to be this time of year as things heat up on the recruiting trail. A guy that I would watch in the 2025 class is three-star Edge Smith Orogbo out of the Houston area. Uh, he has long been a target for schools like Texas Tech, Nebraska, Baylor, etc. Oklahoma just offered him yesterday. Uh, there is already a visit in the works. There are more details over on the site, but uh, that's that's a kid that clicked pretty immediately with Miguel Chavis and has a lot of the same athletic traits as a younger PJ Adibawara minus the freakishly long arms. I mean, nobody has PJ arms, but uh, he is kind of he is kind of exactly what you look for physically in terms of a capable and projectable edge rusher and the tape backs it up. He's a stud. I think he's a blue chip guy as well. Obviously Oklahoma thinks highly enough of him to make an offer to him at this point in the cycle when they're already in good with several other edge guys, including one you mentioned in Max Granville, who's down from that same area and a couple Kansans in Jaden Woods and Dawson Merritt, both of whom are four stars in their own right. So uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see which defensive lineman Oklahoma truly prioritizes because again, when you're dealing with a small class, you got to be real scrupulous about who you press for because you only have so many spots to fill, and once somebody commits, well, unless you have a compelling reason to, it's not like you can tell the kid later on, hey pack it up, move on. We got somebody else coming in to take your place. That's just not how you do business. Certainly not how Brent Venables and his staff want to do business. So they're going to have to be pretty scrupulous in how they approach it. If you want to check out those notes that Parker was referencing on OU Insider, uh, the links are in the show notes, both on YouTube and in the podcast form. So 
uh, we won't blame you for clicking away to check some of those out. Make sure you're subscribed mm -hmm. there uh, for some of the good work that they're doing. Uh, Parker, I want to ask you about that third level of the defense, which is the defensive backs right now. And right now, OU doesn't have any commits there. Uh, elsewhere in the class, there's a lot of um, you know good elite targets all over the board already committed, but defensive back, not so far just yet. But uh, for those of us that are watching on YouTube, you're seeing the visit list there. Uh, I believe Jonah Williams uh, is going to be on campus this weekend. Rivals has him as a five-star. I believe the only service that has uh, him as a five-star. And then you got a couple of uh, top 200, top 250 cornerbacks that uh, should have uh, an opportunity to uh, really continue that relationship with Jay Valai there. So um, what do you see from this weekend and, and those opportunities to maybe lock down some of those guys? Yeah, obviously, Jonah Williams, I, maybe more so than anybody, is the guy you want to make another strong impression with. Now, it's it's so funny because I remember, I mean, I remember when Jonah Williams had no offers and showed up to the All-American Combine last year in San Antonio wearing OU gloves. And I happened to know his trainer. Uh, his trainer flagged me down on the sideline and said, hey, I want you to come watch this kid because he is the next big thing. Lo and behold, a year later, we're talking about a top 10 player in the nation who's got every offer under the sun. Uh, but obviously, he had that affinity for OU from an early age. And so, uh, it, you know, when you're dealing with a five-star player, especially at that position, who is as unique as Jonah Williams is, a big-bodied safety with all the athleticism in the world, right? Uh, you understand that that's never a battle you're going to win easily. And so that's probably going to be, a, you know, a, a dragged out battle to say the least. And one that Oklahoma is just going to have to keep swinging and swinging and swinging at good news is they got a guy running point in that recruitment in Brandon Hall, who is a really tough guy to say no to and has done an exceptional job on the trail for the Sooners over his first two years on staff. So, uh, that's a pretty ideal position to be in if you're Oklahoma having Brandon Hall running point on that recruitment. The Sooners have also offered Jonah Williams the opportunity to play baseball. He's an excellent baseball player. And so, uh, and, you know, having two guys in Taylor Tatum and James Nesta that are signed in the 2024 class with the intention of playing both sports give you some precedent. And Grayson Harris in 2025 is committed to do the same thing, right? So mm -hmm. right now you have a bunch of dudes that are coming to Oklahoma to play both football and baseball. and I'll be intrigued to see how involved Skip Johnson and the baseball staff become in the process for Jonah Williams. But elsewhere, I think Kobe Sellers could very realistically be your first commit in the secondary. OU's in a very, very good spot there. Malik Hawkins, Michael's younger brother, another guy that I, you know, he's he's got other offers. I know Texas loves him and is pushing real hard for his commitment, but with everything that that family is about, how close those brothers are, I find it very difficult to believe he says no to OU in the end. And so uh, those are kind of the two guys I'm watching at cornerback. Not a slam dunk by any means for Tristan Haynes, but it's that much harder to be the odd man out when everybody else at your school is committed to Oklahoma over at Carl Albert. So we'll see how things play out with Tristan Haynes, but yeah, those are the, uh, those are the guys I'm watching this weekend, Kobe sellers, Malik Hawkins and Jonah Williams, both, uh, because with the, the former two, I think Oklahoma has a great chance to push for an early commitment. And obviously with the latter guy, it's a matter of what kind of impression can you make with somebody who is going to have the opportunity to go anywhere that he wants. Let's flip it over to the offensive side of the football. Let's talk about the signal caller that's going to be uh, kind of the focal point in this 2025 class. Uh, Parker, Kevin Sperry continues to be an uh, an extra recruiter. 
for lack of a better term, for this yeah. staff on any recruiting weekend, thanks to his move to nearby Carl Albert. What kind of impact does this have uh, for other players to see their on-field leader virtually as just as much as the coaches whenever they visit Norman? Yeah, it's big time, right? Because the quarterback is the focal point of any class and quarterbacks typically have that Pied Piper effect, if, especially if they're certified dudes, right? Guys want to play with elite quarterbacks. You saw the pull that Jackson Arnold had in the 2023 class. It was a little bit more understated because that's just how he is, but you saw that same effect with Michael Hawkins in the 2024 class. He was particularly integral in the recruitment of Eddie Pierre-Louis, which Oklahoma closed out right before signing day, right? So you want to have a quarterback who is fully bought in with your institution and who just kind of has that flair about him as a peer recruiter. And Kevin Sperry certainly has that. Uh, he's had a great impact on several of the commitments to this point, including Grayson Harris, including Elijah Thomas. Owen Hollenbeck was another guy uh, that Kevin Sperry helped Oklahoma lock down early on. So, yeah, you know, he's with him being half an hour down the road, right? It's never a difficult thing to get him to campus to help you recruit. And especially because it is such a strong in-state class in 2025, I think we're really going to see what kind of teeth Kevin Sperry has as a recruiter as things play out, not just with his high school teammate Tristan Haynes, but C.J. Nixon up at Weatherford. Oh, he's going to have to talk him out of playing basketball. And then obviously Nate Roberts, a national top five tight end from right down the road in Washington, Oklahoma. So Roberts and Haynes are kind of the two guys, even more so than Nixon, that I think Sperry's going to have a lot of pull with. There are not as many offensive guys that are scheduled to visit this upcoming weekend, but certainly some high-quality guys, uh, most notably Caleb Cunningham, the wide receiver who Rivals has in their top 20. That's kind of borderline five-star territory. If you look at maybe the composite list, he's probably is a five-star in a lot of areas. Um, and he's about 30 minutes away from Starkville, where Jeff Levy is now the head coach there. So I, I know that's a guy that Kevin Sperry would love to have on his uh, receiver list there, but what, what kind of odds do you give OU of being able to not only steal him from Mississippi State, but all the other SEC targets out there? I don't think they're great odds. I'm going to be honest. And far <laughs> be it for me to dismiss what Emmett Jones is capable of, because that man's a menace on the recruiting trail. I mean, if there's anybody, anybody that can convince Caleb Cunningham to leave what you would traditionally regard as SEC territory, it's probably Emmett Jones. Uh, but even so, I think he's going to have a real, real hard time pulling Caleb Cunningham out of that vicinity. I do really like where Oklahoma stands with Manny Choice, who was there on the list, as you mentioned, the three-star out of Lancaster, Texas, uh, and a guy that Jones was first to offer last summer. I mean, it is not often that Oklahoma is the first offer for a player, but they were first to the table with Manny Choice, and that has left them in a really good position from a relational standpoint. He's never been a Norman. This is going to be his first trip. So kind of get the chance to make a first impression, um, even though Emmett Jones has kind of been sowing the seeds of that relationship for the last seven or eight months. Uh, this is their chance as a program, as a university, to make a first impression on Manny Choice, on behalf of Oklahoma, not just yeah. Emmett Jones. So real curious to see how that goes. I just think a lot is going to depend on the timeline with these 2025 receivers because they've got three committed in Jaden Nickens, Grayson Harris, and Elijah Thomas. They're only recruiting for one more spot 
who is that? Well, to be honest with you, I don't think Emmett Jones has any particular designs on which player that is. There are several dudes that he would take commitments from. It's just a question of who's ready to jump in the boat first. You really needed to give me something there that I could at least clip out of context, uh, Parker. <laughs> so I'm green. we know you fans love their five stars on Twitter. So uh, challenge accepted on that one. I'll see what I can cook up out of that answer. <laughs> Parker, let me ask you about the offensive line going into next season. I know that a lot of the talk has been about, uh, you know, Brent Venables and the culture that he's building and, you know, kind of how he's building this program and valuing the relationships and certain, you know, key aspects that he's, you know, promoting inside the program. That's allowing guys like Billy Bowman and Danny Stutzman, who maybe in previous years under a different administration, maybe they choose to forgo one more year of eligibility and go to the NFL. But when you talk about the offensive line, you know, we I've been very critical about it on the on this podcast. I know that Adam and I have had some pretty good discussions and I've caught some flack for it. I think that the offensive line next year is the difference between this team winning seven games or winning ten in year one of the SEC. And I know that Bill Beanbow uh has been kind of afforded the ability, you know, in the Big Twelve each of the last, you know, five to ten years to be able to take that first month of the season. Uh apologize for the dog in the background. Uh, to, to kind of, you know, figure out his starting five rotation and be able to, you know, patch things together, tied up with duct tape, and you're able to, you know, go on and compete for a Big 12 championship. Not sure you're going to have that same luxury dealing with an SEC schedule and that brand of football. So what's your outlook on the offensive line going into next season? I think you're exactly right, Tyler. I think it is the difference between seven wins and ten wins. And at that point, you know, when you put it in those terms – it comes down to how much trust you have in Bill Biedenbow. And based on his track record, based on everything he's done, not just at Oklahoma, but everywhere he's been throughout his coaching career, I, I have the utmost confidence that Bill Biedenbow is going to figure this thing out. Do I know what that looks like? No. Does he know what that looks like? Probably not, at least until they get on the field for spring ball. But there's a reason why... NFL scouts and top evaluators and everybody whose opinion in the football community carries a lot of weight regard Bill Biedenbow as one of the best offensive line coaches in the country, if not the best. And it's because he's consistently turned water into wine. And this is not the first year. This is not the first time, even at Oklahoma, that Bill Biedenbow has gone into a particular spring practice session with less clarity than would be ideal as to who his starting five is going to be. But every time he's figured it out, man, and that has included some really unconventional maneuvers like pulling Tyrese Robinson from left guard all the way out to right tackle in 2021, mm -hmm. despite the fact that Robinson had never played tackle to that point in his collegiate career. Uh, I think Bill's going to figure it out. I think he's got the pieces to do so, but I also think that you're, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I think you're spot on. The play of the offensive line is going to be the difference between Oklahoma being an also ran in the SEC and a team that potentially knocks on the door being in that 12 team playoff field next season. So we're really going to see what Bill Biedenbow is made of in 2024, and it's either going to confirm or disprove a lot of narratives because any way you slice it if the offensive line is elite or even above average in 2024 you can't explain that away other than bill Bedenbow's excellence 
as a coach and got to give him his flowers at that point, because if the Sooners can go- cobble together a line that adequately protects Jackson Arnold and opens up the running lanes for the backs, we will get to the conclusion of that 2024 season year one in the sec and marvel at the work that bill Bedenboe has done. Because again, you will have no choice at that point. He will have replaced all five starters amidst a transition from the big 12 to the sec. So Bill Biedenboe already makes good money as the offensive line coach at the University of Oklahoma, but if the Sooners can dominate up front in the offensive trenches this season, give that man a hefty raise because he's earned it. Parker, I'm sure you're going to get these messages probably starting at like 10 p.m. Saturday night. Where are all the commits? Uh, Uh Why haven't we had any yet? So here's your opportunity to get ahead of it. Like in the world of Twitter edits, things are timelines are different than they were even like five years ago. So what does success look like for OU this weekend? I mean, again, this might not be the answer you're fishing for, but I I don't think it has anything to do with how many commits you get. Um, I think, especially this early on, it's more about developing and helping these relationships flourish as you turn the page from the 2024 class to the 2025 class and you really start to turn up the heat on the guys that you like and that you want in your 2025 class over the rest of the group, right? Because Oklahoma is going to offer 150, 200 different players in the 2025 class. They're going to truly prioritize maybe a hundred of those dudes. And they're going to, and in a more specific sense, they're going to go hard after maybe 60, right? Because you have 53 official visits to work with. And so you have nine commits in the boat right now. Those are nine spots you don't have to worry about. The Sooners are looking for 10 to 12, maybe 13 more. And so I don't think the Oklahoma staff is going to be pressing for any commitments this weekend. I, I don't think that's what they want. I think at this point in the cycle, you just want to get a better idea of who's actually serious about your university. It's going to be your first opportunity to actually lay eyes on some of these guys and see what they look like physically, which is going to tell you a lot about how much you want to invest in them. And so, again, I don't think success this weekend has anything to do with the number of commitments that you get. I think for the staff, it's more just about doing your due diligence and not only figuring out who you want to turn the heat up on, but who is actually serious about potentially being a Sooner and who just accepted the junior day invite because they wanted to make a cool trip of it and take some photos. Parker, is this weekend really the first true audition for new defensive coordinator Zach Alley? And I know that whenever the uh, the Ted Roof announcement was made that he was parting ways with Oklahoma. I know that a lot of people thought that this was going to be an opportunity for OU to really upgrade on the recruiting trail. You know, you follow recruiting as close to this as anybody. How how big of an upgrade is this going to be for Oklahoma having Zach Alley in the fold? Not just because he's so familiar growing up with uh, with Brent Venables teaching him defense, but also as a recruiter who's got the energy, he's able to relate a little bit better with some of the younger kids. Um, how big is this for Zach Alley moving forward? Again, maybe not the answer you wanted. I I really don't think we're going to I don't really think we're going to be able to make a judgment on Zach Alley as a recruiter until the class of 2026 
because again, Oklahoma is recruiting for one linebacker spot right now. Only one. They have a bevy of top targets, all of whom they would be quite comfortable with in my mind, uh, committing to the Sooners. And of course you have Brent Venables, the greatest linebackers coach in college football over the last three decades at the absolute tip of the top in your program, right? The one who is uh, coordinating everything and running the operation as your head coach. So with regard to Zach Alley's acumen as a recruiter, obviously with him presumably taking the reins from a defensive play calling standpoint in 2024, we're going to be able to draw some pretty quick conclusions on what type of coach he is, especially because he's set up so well with nine of 11 defensive starters returning. He's going to have a lot of experience and a lot of talent on that unit. So as far as Zach Alley, the coach, yes, 2024 is going to tell us a lot, but regardless of who the Sooners one commit is at linebacker between now and December, whether that's Christian Jones or Jaden Harmon or Luke Metz or what have you. Uh, what does one commit really tell us about a coach at a position where you often have anywhere between 10 and 14 guys on scholarship, right? Like it, it's a different conversation for somebody like Joe John Finley who only has four or five scholarship guys in his room, right? We can see him land at Devon Mitchell and go, boom, that's a dynamite recruiting job this cycle by Joe John Finley. But for Zach Alley, one commit really doesn't say a whole lot about who he is as a recruiter and what he's capable of. I think we'll be able to draw those conclusions in 2026, especially because at that point, he's going to have the ability to recruit off of what his defense has done on the football field in the SEC in 2024. Tyler, do you have one more? This is Tyler's first podcast. He's on mute. Uh, he's never done this before. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he might be muted himself oh, no. permanently. Um, I'll go ahead. There, there we go. There we there go, we go. Ahead, Tyler. No, I, I didn't know. Do we want to go down the NIL rabbit hole, Adam? Well, we've got I don't know if we have time to cover that. I don't know. Um, if, I don't know if we do. If That's we want, a... we Gosh, that is an expansive <laughs> conversation. Um, it depends. Like, how far down the rabbit hole do y'all want to go? What What are you curious about? I, I guess my concerned? I guess my question, Parker, is which side of the fence are are you? <laughs> which side are you tipping to? Are you more in the camp of Oklahoma is doing everything that they can and they're playing the long game in a sense of they're not choosing to go down the route of an Ole Miss or an A and M or you know, even a, even a, an Ohio State with what they're doing this offseason in I.O. where they're just paying an insane amount of money for their recruiting class. Do, do you think that Oklahoma is doing themselves a disservice by choosing to kind of pull the reins back a little bit? We'll see how this plays out. We'll see if NIL is something that ends up becoming regulated because me personally, I don't think it's sustainable. What, uh, what some of these programs are doing, spending the type of money that they are. Texas A&M has, has proved over the last three years that that's something that's not attainable. You can spend all the money that you want bringing in you know top-tier talent, but it doesn't always equate to a championship if you've got other deficiencies inside your program. So uh, where do you think OU is sitting right now? Do you think they're in good shape, or do you think that we might want to see this program kind of get a little bit more aggressive as far as spending habits go now that they find themselves in the SEC. Is Oklahoma doing everything they can? No, but that doesn't mean they're not doing everything they should. 
And I think that's where you got to draw the distinction, right? Because I'll tell you this much, like in terms of sheer spending capacity, Oklahoma has a lot of it, right? Mm -hmm. Oklahoma could, if we're just talking about sheer feasibility, they could afford to go toe to toe with the Tennessee's and Ole Miss's and Texas A&M's and Miami's and Oregon's of the NIL space, right? They could afford to be a heavy hitter, but at what cost, right? Because the only empirical data that we have on buying recruiting classes and buying players via the transfer portal, the only data that we have in that regard suggests that it's not worth it because no program that has done that, no program that has espoused that philosophy has competed for championships. And in fact, it, like at Texas A&M, it got Jimbo Fisher fired. Mm-hmm. And at Miami, like I, I, Mario Cristobal is still the coach there. They haven't uh, run him off the ranch yet, but things are not great down there on South Beach. And those are just, I mean, those are two prominent examples, but the overarching point is no less poignant and that is that (laughs) buying players and buying portal talent does not necessarily equate to winning football games i agree tyler it's not sustainable for the programs that are doing it because the market will inevitably correct itself right we're never going to see uh, we may years and years down the line but in the immediate future we're not going to see a quarterback get a $13 million promise from a university the way that Jaden Rashada did from Florida last year, especially if you're paying attention to the news cycle right now and you know how that whole saga ended for the University of Florida. Uh, They got absolutely nothing out of that whole ordeal except an NCAA investigation. So, Mm -hmm. no, it is not sustainable by any means, I don't think, for the programs that are doing it. I think the market will correct itself. And I think the programs that do operate that way will eventually realize that no matter how much they're spending, unless they're playing for championships every year, which none of those programs are, they're not getting their money's worth. For instance, I will use the example of Zalance Heard. I've said it time and time again on the radio the last couple of weeks. If fans understood how much money was on the table for Zalance Heard at Tennessee, their immediate conclusion would be, yeah, there's no way Oklahoma or anybody else should be paying that much for an offensive lineman with one career start. And granted, he was a five-star recruit, right? Really bright future, undeniable, but way too much money for Oklahoma or anybody else to pay for one singular offensive Mm -hmm. lineman that has that much experience. So I think the way that Oklahoma is doing it is actually quite brilliant because every single one of their players gets paid Not every school does that. They're taking care of everybody and they're taking care of everybody commensurate with what they've done on the football field, right? Obviously guys like Danny Stutzman and Billy Bowman are getting paid more than one of the third teamers on the offensive line, but everybody's getting paid, right? They're making sure that everyone's taken care of and they're making sure that the dudes that are moving the needle most for the football program are getting rewarded and then some. So I actually like the way that Oklahoma operates NIL. I have no major qualms with it. And to anybody that does, I would simply ask, okay, like what has NIL gotten those programs that have thrown out ridiculous bags for players in the end? Where has it gotten them? 
you heard it here. Everyone stop panicking. Uh, <laughs> Parker <laughs> has uh, just laid it out there. Uh, real quick, last one here. I'll take a, a listener from the, uh, or from the chat here, a question there. Kevin Sperry, believe he's number 14 on Rivals right now. Jimmy Satterfield would like to know, will he end up being a top 10 QB? Uh, and then if you want to shout out as well, anywhere else that uh, you want to go, I know you insider the ref, we've talked about that as well. Those uh, links are in the show notes. Um, but anything special you want to shout out there that's going on, on the website uh, before we let you go this evening? Yeah, I will say on the graphic, you shortchanged me an hour. I'm 12 to 3 on the ref. Did so I? the two, okay. yeah, God, yeah. Damn the two it, Adam. Three hour is a recruiting-focused <laughs> hour. So uh, if you like recruiting talk, that is the place to be in the mid-afternoon. Uh, but yeah, OUinsider.com, folks, uh, if you want to stay up to date on the most intimate level with everything that is happening in the world of OU sports and recruiting, there is no better place than OUinsider.com. To Jimmy's question, yes, I do think Kevin Sperry will end up being a top 10 quarterback. And I think much like Jackson Arnold, where he makes his big move is going to be at the Elite 11 this summer. That's an event where I just think Kevin Sperry's talents and his abilities are going to be on full display because look, this is not to take anything away from what he's done on Friday nights throughout his career, because he's obviously been exceptional on the football field, but as impressive as he has been on Friday nights, man, it just seems like he is dialed into another level. When you put him in a camp setting Mm -hmm. against other guys of his same caliber or close to it, when you put him in a competitive environment alongside 30 or 40 other signal callers, it seems like there's some switch that flips that just enables him to be that much more precise and consistent. And so I'm counting on this being a big off season for Kevin Sperry. Is he the number one quarterback in America by the end of it? I don't know about that, but I would certainly say he winds up in the top 10. And I think Oklahoma got themselves a good one for more than one reason, right? Obviously he is a phenomenal quarterback, but he's also just going to be an outstanding representative for the university. Somebody that is, the epitome of bought in to everything that Brent Venables and his staff and the athletic department as a whole are are doing at the university of Oklahoma. So I I think Kevin Sperry being your quarterback in the 2025 class, man, that is best case scenario, all things considered for Oklahoma. Parker, last one for me in 10 seconds or less for Oklahoma to have the type of season they want in the sec next year. Who do they need a bigger performance of in their freshman year? David Stone or Devon Mitchell? Man, you're trying to limit me to 10 seconds on this? Shoot. Hey, um, hey, we got all the time in the world. You, you, I know that's a loaded question. You Go for it, whatever you think. It's got to be David Stone. And look, I, I think Devon Mitchell is going to be a day one contributor. But uh, I think the best way I can put it is I think elite tight end play is a luxury in the Oklahoma offense, i.e. I think the offense can fire on all cylinders with or without elite tight end play. Like that, that's, that's almost the difference between a top five offense nationally and a top three offense nationally. And so I think in terms of the guy that has the greater opportunity to substantially raise the bar for Oklahoma on their side of the football I think the answer is David Stone, and I am counting on him being a major rotational piece, if not a starter for Oklahoma as a true freshman, because mm-hmm. he's just cut different. And anybody who's watched him, uh, anybody except for Bobby Burton, I suppose, uh, <laughs> anybody will tell you oh. that he is he is somebody that can 
turn it up, crank it up a notch, and uh, you put the pads on him. He is an absolute monster, and I am not counting on that changing when he straps on the Crimson and Cream in Norman, Oklahoma, and joins the Sooner fraternity on the defensive line. I think he is going to be an all-conference dude, at minimum all-American type dude. Uh, that's that's easily the ceiling for David Stone by the time he's done in Norman, and certainly the type that is going to have to have an immediate impact, I think, for Oklahoma in year one in the SEC because of what they have right now in that defensive tackle room. Yeah, Dejon Terry was great in 2023. Yeah, you got solid plays here and there from Grayson Halton and Jacob Lacey, but you want to have more than three guys that you can count on. And so if David Stone and Jayton Jackson can come along and be instant impact dudes in that defensive tackle room, man, it's just going to make Oklahoma's defense all the more stout. And they're going to need contributions. They're going to need strong play at all three levels in 2024 to get where they want to go in the SEC. Parker, we know you got to run. So uh, we appreciate you jumping on with us. We'll have to do this again soon. And uh, we promise to update the photo next time to make sure uh, everything's correct there. So love that. uh, Thanks so much, Parker. We appreciate that. And we appreciate everyone for joining us this evening. And we will see you next week for the next Mainline.